Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Om Shanti, welcome to the next normal in collaboration with America Meditating Radio. I'm your host, Sister Jenna. You know, I'm looking forward to having my conversation with our very special guest that's coming up. Why? Because the world is in such a state, but she likes to say it's a hot mess. I accidentally went onto my Twitter handle yesterday. No offense to Twitter, FYI. And I happened to come across a conversation with our congressman in Maryland, Jamie Raskin, and they were holding a committee about certain things that were going on. They're still trying to find out who to hold accountable for January 6th insurrection on the Capitol. And I just knew I shouldn't have gone there. But as I just looked at that 30 seconds, that was all it was. And I could see these two adults, both lawyers, fathers, husbands, leaders, just couldn't speak to each other with any sort of a politeness. Politics, to be polite. What we're witnessing in the world right now is nothing to do with politics. There's no politeness between these narratives with people. And it almost feels like, for me, people need to go back to school and get educated on how to behave with one another. There's just a lot of interior. Is it fear? Is it attachment? Is it, I don't want to use the word ignorance, but it's almost as if we've become so separated from the real I. So it's as if we've now entered into a world divided by so many issues inside of our own selves and some hot messiness. So as author, activist, and public theologian, Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis puts it, it is a hot mess. So race and ethnicity, caste and color, gender and sexuality, who gets educated, who doesn't, religion and political party, they've all become demographic labels that actually reduce our differences to simplistic categories in which we are vehemently against them. In her new book, Fierce Love, A Bold Path to Ferocious Courage and Rule-Breaking Kindness That Can Heal the World, Reverend Dr. Lewis urges us to forge a new path forward, one driven by love, empathy, and compassion. Reverend Dr. Lewis is the first female and first black senior minister to serve in the Progressive Collegiate Church, which dates to 1628. Her activism work has been featured by the Today Show, MSNBC, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post. Okay, you get it. She's the creator of the MSNBC online show, Just Faith, and the PBS show, Faith and Justice, in which she led important conversations about culture and current events. Her new podcast, Love, Period, is produced by the Center for Action and Contemplation. Today, we're so honored to welcome the amazing Dr. Reverend Jackie Lewis to The Next Normal and America Meditating Radio. That was a mouthful. Why you have to be so busy, girl? 
That's just way too much. <laughs> I need to take a nap, Sister Jenna. <laughs> Why are you so busy trying to change the world with all your goodness? Because you and I know that that's what we must do. We're called to do that. Yeah. Congratulations thank you so on much your for, call. Oh, thank you for you too. And thank you for inviting me here today. Just listening oh. to you speak makes my heart beat slower. I really appreciate oh. that. Oh, you're too sweet. We just um, celebrated the 10th year anniversary of the erection of the Martin Luther King Memorial in Washington, D.C. So beautiful to see Vice President Kamala Harris up there, too. And Mr. Johnson, who was such a visionary of getting this up and during the time of the Obama administration and having such a balanced, empathetic leader in America right now, Joe Biden, after what we've been through. Love is a force, and yet we're finding it, you know, as if people don't understand the language anymore, the word. You know, if somebody tells you you're a loveless person, you would say, no, I'm not, because you look at all the areas of love that you give. Mm -hmm. But I understand that your love for God really opened up when you were about eight years old. And after the assassination of Mr. King, you were catalyzed to work against racism and poverty in America which is still happening today, unfortunately. Tell us a little bit about these experiences that you had at that age. Thank you so much, Chichitin. I think I fell in love with God, I would say, with my mother as an envoy or matchmaker. She and dad grew up in the church, and they both were raised in Mississippi. We moved to Chicago, and the church around the corner was the one where my aunt played organ and my uncle sang. And it was a small Presbyterian church that had space for kids. We danced on the pulpit. We helped lead worship. We helped with the fellowship hour, volunteering, and sang in the choir. And this first time I took the Eucharist, the communion, it's called in the Christian tradition, which is really a Passover meal kind of thing on a Sunday. The bread came by and my mom said, this bread means God will always love you. And it was a sweet little piece of bread. You know how kids love miniature things, that Hawaiian bread. And I was like, wow. God loves me. And then when the little cup came by, mom said, God will never leave you. And I I have to say, Sister Jenna, that's my faith. God will always love you. God will never leave you. Love, period. So it's planted in me as a little person. Mm -hmm. Before we get to the Ten Commandments or whatever ethical teachings my parents wanted to pull out of the Bible, and some leaders pulling teachings out of the Bible that I found to be oppressive as opposed to liberative, That simple, God always will love you and God will never leave you, I think, hooked me. And then about a year later, Dr. King is killed. And he's a hero. He's a a lover. He's a liberator. He's a teacher. We're mesmerized by his speech. I have a dream, the March on Washington. And as a little person, this good person is killed. Why? Absolutely blows my mind and traumatizes me. And catalyzes me. I'm under my bed. The people in Chicago are shooting and angry and sad and grief. So it's really frightening. But I'm really clear at just about nine that I'm supposed to pick up his mantle and be a drum major for peace. So there's a kind of precocious something in that as real as any other experience. I've had a feeling of calling in to that space that guided my life in many ways but finally took me to seminary at 30 to get ready, you know, (laughs) (laughs) to be in the love army. 
You know, it's so interesting how many of us have questioned God and love when internally we witness what we would say good people getting killed, getting traumatized, getting abused, getting raped, getting abandoned. Mm-hmm. And we start to question the energy of the divine, of sacred, of divinity, only to realize maybe like as we grow older, and I will say in particular this time period that we're in where there's mm-hmm. so much woke or so much awakening taking place, that we realize that as souls we are carrying a vibrational energy from every bit of experience or choices that we've made. And as much as sometimes I hate to look at that because when I was ignorant and I did something in some past incarnation that gave sorrow, I didn't think about the repercussions of it many lives later. And it makes the whole drama of human relations between people a very complex narrative that really you have to take God out of it. And the only time I put God in it is when I see the beauty between mm. people, when I see mm-hmm. harmony between people, when I see that there's respect in a conversation between two folks who have opposite ideas, I would say there's God present right now. That's but when beautiful. I see the killing and the maiming and the arguing and the disrespect, I go, this is just not right. But then there's another part of God that wakes up in us because even though from eight, you knew God will never leave you and God is loved just by a little piece of bread and a cup. That's <laughs> it's <right>. amazing how <laughs> that memory can come up. Yeah. Here you are. You're being a good girl. You're in the corporate world. But there was something that kept gnawing at you. And at 30, you decided to go to seminary and earn a master's in divinity from Princeton Theological Seminary. So can you tell us what were those thoughts that were calling you that mm-hmm. led you to such a major transition in life? Yeah, thank you so much for putting that all together so beautifully. It was a gnawing, persistent, gnawing sense, not how it felt. It felt persistent that I was yearning for something. I was yearning for something that I knew existed. And I didn't really want it for myself, Sister Jenna. I wanted to be able to help other people have it. I got oldest child syndrome, you know, (laughs) the sense of the strong helper in me. And I didn't get it in the corporate world. And the God I was relating to, I love how you say, where is the God in it? And I was wondering almost always, what's love got to do with it? I felt so impinged by what I think was intended for good about religion, the the religion I inherited. It started feeling like everything was about what you don't do. You you don't have sex before you get married. You, You do, there's... You don't be gay. And if you do, then you don't curse. You don't smoke. You don't wear makeup. You don't wear pants. You don't hang out with the Muslims and the Buddhists and the Jews because they're not chosen. I mean, it was just crazy. <laughs> like, like, it just felt so weird. It's like, <laughs> like, what kind of God is this that expects yeah. this of us? And I just wanted the part of me that's intellectually curious the part of me that felt that that was unauthentic and untrue. I just needed to baptize myself or go through a river to see what it was really about. And I was so glad that I went through that two and a half year journey stripping away. A lot of our pastors will tell us when you go to seminary, you're going to lose your faith. Yes. Thank be to God. You know, 
you lose that childhood faith and get a grown-up faith and understand that God is multilingual. Understand that if there is a God, and I think there is, the divine is in everything. The divine is calling everything into relationship. And so leaving the corporate world to go to seminary was about shedding something, but also, Sister Jenna, if I hadn't had that corporate experience, I'm more real because I sold copiers. I'm more real because I hung out at crazy bars with young adults who were medicating ourselves. You know, I'm more real because I had these real life experiences before I went to seminary. And the two journeys together bring me to this place where love is my religion. Beautiful. I love that. Love is my religion. I think being able to be exposed, one of the things that I'm not taking sides, I have friends in all different factors of religion, but especially if the Episcopalian branch where you can get married, have kids and serve, right? Whereas in the Roman Catholic, you know, you have to stay celibate and then you hear all the amazing undercurrents that takes place that's making people think the religion is the problem. It's not the religion, it's the people and their yes, struggles exactly. that's, that's actually right. taking place within the walls of the religion and the idea of what the religion stands for. I feel that as we continue our journey, we're not alone in anything that we're going through. And sometimes we do feel that we are alone and love leaves us. You know, mm-hmm. we get so attached to our bruises, our interpretation, mm-hmm. our narratives. And I was surprised to hear you when you say the pastor says, if you go to seminary school, you're going to lose your faith. You're going to lose your <laughs> faith in illusion. Amen. And exactly. you're going to cultivate a faith in what is true, which is yes. to love fearlessly. Yes. You wrote an entire book on this. <laughs> so tell us, what does this mean? And what was the catalyst for you writing Fierce Love? It was a nine-year journey uh, to the book. Long time wrestling in the context of my beautiful community in New York, the multi-everything place called Middle Collegiate Church, a laboratory for love. What did love have to do with it? We were doing a justice conference every year for a while. We talked about just the power of stories to change the world. For a few seasons, we talked about what it really means to grow multi-ethnic churches. It was in the zeitgeist, revolutionary love. Kids in Ferguson, revolutionary love, 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 you know, at the beginning of the marches. My friend Valerie Kaur, Rabbi Michael Lerner, both wrote books about revolutionary love. Serene Jones at Union Seminary led the AAR, American Academy of Religion, with revolutionary love. It was bubbling up everywhere. And I started wondering, what is revolutionary about love? And it is its fierceness. I mean, the fierceness of revolutionary love made, you know, Valerie Taker Cameron go all around the country after 9-11. The fierceness made those firemen and those policemen, those first responders, the, the women, the nurses, run into the building as it fell down. Fierce love makes people go to the border and bear witness to the atrocities there. And fierce love made people wade in the tepid, fetid waters of Katrina and Sandy and save people, risking their own lives. Fierce love is what made my mama protect me on the playground when kids were picking on me. My dad, go to the Air Force Base and demand apologies when I'm called the N-word. It's fierce, right? It's not mammy-pammy. It's not codependent. It's not squishy. It's sacrificial love that made King walk with the sanitation workers, right? To his death, in a way, made him decide to stop playing politic and say, this Vietnam War is wrong, risking his popularity. Samuel Hamer, Fierce Love, makes her 
stand up in the world and demand to be seen and to be an uneducated Mississippi woman leading a movement. So this is what I've been playing with. Like, how does it come to be that we understand love as power? So love as fierce. Love for yourself, fiercely accepting yourself, loving yourself. Love for your neighbor, for your posse. I am inextricably connected to you. I must care about your self-interest because yours is mine. In the spirit of Ubuntu, I am who I am because you are who you are. And love for the world. Sister Jenna, that sends us into the world, making it better. In our backyard, in Detroit, in Afghanistan, in China, because we are all each other's people. That kind of love is not quiet. It is loud and it is fierce. And I think it's needed because we've been on the journey. And while on the journey, we've picked up pieces of stuff that we know we need to let go of. And it holds us back right. from Absolutely. allowing that love to create harmony and to create order in the universe. So when we actually see injustice or tragedy at a heightened level, We can't allow the limitation or the weakness that we've gotten accustomed to that we're holding on to, to just let Mm -hmm. us sit there and be quiet. Mm -hmm. So it's like we almost have to use it, you know, like when Adele sings, she uses all of that pain (laughs) and suffering in her music. That you're like, how does she do that? Every word she sings, you feel something. So I think we all have it when we decide that we're going to let the fire in that love move us beyond our limitation and Mm -hmm. beyond whatever tragedy we're witnessing. It moves us into the whole conversation of Ubuntu. I love this form and this idea, Mm -hmm. but I definitely want you to speak about it from your point of view because you speak at length about Ubuntu through the book. So tell our audience a little bit about what it means and where the term originated from. I'm going to butcher this, but I'm trying to say it so my mouth and my mind can be together, Umuntu, Ungumuntu, Ungubantu. A human is a human through other humans. That's the way the Zulu say it. This is bedrock, base of brain, early evolutionary learning that happens at the cradle of civilization. It's just outside of South Africa. It's right there in the Zulu culture where we all know that we come biologically from this place A human is a human through other humans. I am only a person because my community sees me into existence. I thrive and I survive in community. When the Zulu people see each other, they say, Salbona, which means we see you. We are the lives we've lived. We the people, we the deities, we my posse, we all see you. And the response is, Sakona, I exist. And I would say, we exist. My cosmology, my people, my stuff, my ancestors, we exist. We exist because you see me. Nelson Mandela is imprisoned on Rikers Island, writing about Ubuntu, seeing the humanity of his captors, saying, and I'm paraphrasing, those folks weren't born hating. They learned to hate. And if we learn to hate, we can relearn love. Like Love is the first natural instinct. Bishop Tuktu and his granddaughter both write about Ubuntu from the context of apartheid, from the context of that suffering and that anguish and that racism. Their hearts were still able to understand love as power, Ubuntu as power. 
So I weaved this through my book. I bumped into it actually during my PhD studies, studying leadership. It's in the leadership literature, this kind of interrelatedness. And I realized it's what Gandhi is talking about and it's what King is talking about when he says we're in a garment woven together, paraphrasing him, but inextricably connected one to the other. Injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. Those kinds of sentiments are in the culture because we know it's true. We know it's true. And I'm delighted to be able to put it into a place, a kind of accessible place. Yeah, I see you. It reminds me of a story, a young boy in school would hold up his hand when the teacher would ask a question and the teacher would just not pick on him at all. Hmm. And after a while, he went home and he told his mom, my teacher doesn't like me. And the mother turned to her son and said, why do you think so? And he said to his mom, she doesn't see me. Mm-hmm. And so when we do use this idea of I see you, it is such a deep acceptance and regard to your existence as mm-hmm. God's child on the planet Earth. And then what can we co-create as God's children if we work for the common good? But because of this algae, this acronym I use, anger, lust, greed, attachment, and ego, mm-hmm. I love that's that. the cause <laughs> for all the problems in it the is. world. It's not that's because right. you're black, you're white, you're rich, you're poor. It's because of this consciousness that has woven itself in your personality that you're struggling with. Mm -hmm. And even though you might not have the language to deal with your struggle with your own issues, then, of course, you spill it out on people along the way. But in the book, you do give some daily practices that we can incorporate to help to channel love and strength in our inner and outer self-love. Could you elaborate a little bit on those? Yeah. Along with Ubuntu, the other thread in the book is, you know, love neighbor as self. I'm, all the world's major religions have some kind of way of talking about that connection. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Don't withhold from someone that which you need for yourself. One tradition says don't break anyone else's heart. So I just have been wrestling with maybe part of why we have algae, maybe part of why we're not able to love others is because we actually don't love ourselves enough or at all. I don't think we're taught self-love. I don't think we're encouraged about self-love. We understand narcissism. We understand self-aggrandizement. We understand egotism as out of bounds. I'm beginning to think maybe what really is true is that there's an absence of love of self in that person and false self. It looks like it's brave, but actually it's terrified. So the first part of the book are practices about loving yourself, examining your story, so you can love yourself unconditionally, like find in your weak places, your superpowers and celebrate them. Think about the way you've been hurt, but at the place where you've been hurt is where you can grow a love muscle. You can grow strength. Be honest, be truthful, tell the truth to yourself as a practice to telling the truth to others because we can't love a lie. Letting go of the heavy burdens you carry through the process of therapy or spiritual direction or self-reflection, like let it go. Dragging that stuff around is harmful. So that's part one. Part two are practices about loving your posse, developing the ability to confront as a way to honor people, to build relationships based on vulnerability, to find bravery in that is the second part. So there's three practices on loving your people, your closest neighbor, your family, and also your communities. And then finally, three practices on loving the world, loving the self. And my favorite practice in that, um, I'm inviting people to believe assiduously in love, but the core message in that is learning how to see. 
So we're back to Ubuntu. We're back to ICU. The rabbis say a moral life is about learning how to see, learning how to let go of indifference. John Lewis, if you see something, say something, do something. So calling people into three practices that ultimately lead us to see each other, see the world, see the issues as calling us in to be a part of the solution. Yeah. Love for the self, love for each other, love for the world. Yes. All of it sounds so good. <laughs> so good. And also so hard, right? And you know what I was just thinking as you were saying that? <laughs> we have all of this, like it's there. And yeah. just last night, I was in not a fierce, loving mode with my mother last night. She was mm-hmm. in another space. Don't blame me for being human, but... She was just in a mood yesterday and, you know, sometimes stuff builds up in you and it's not her, but she's mirroring to me areas in my life that I still need some adjustment. And Mm -hmm. as much as I wanted to speak and find that energy that comes from that embodied state of love, I found that I was speaking to her from a state of an attachment to a way that I would prefer her to be. Yeah. And I would say that I think this is good for you. And in a way, it's going to be good for me too. And she was just oblivious. And then I could see that there were some of the words that I spoke and somehow it went in and she was just kind of, the body language was saying, I don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't mm-hmm. know what else to do. Yeah. I saw that. So even when we have that in us, it's hard for us to be able to bring world peace to the stage. (laughs) So with all the divisiveness (laughs) and the chaos and the violence and the discord that we're witnessing around the world, how can we bring back kindness and respect for one another using Ubuntu or fierce love? I mean, you've given us these three steps and, and ways that we can look into it. But is there a deep personal practice that Mm -hmm. you can share with us that must be a consistent practice. For example, mine is keep checking if I'm moving away from my peace. Mm. So as I was talking to her last night, I could feel I was moving away from my peace. Mm. So that means whatever I said was only going to give sorrow because it's giving me sorrow. Right. And as much as I was recognizing it, I wanted to pull back and stop. But this little tongue that's only two inches long could not stop. <laughs> could not stop. And right. then I just like, come on, Jen. You know she doesn't know better. She's been like this your whole life. You've always been there. But it was like things were just coming up. What is that one thing in you that you need to pay attention to that can help you to take you closer to that love? Oh, that's a great question. I'm going to try to make a two-parter on that. I think one thing is really to draw the compassion and the love and the forgiveness toward yourself. Yesterday, I wrote a note, an email to a colleague. As I was writing it, I thought, this isn't going to really land like I want it to. (laughs) But I just didn't stop enough because I was hurt. I was having a feeling. And I was thinking that if I had stopped and given myself like a little medicine, a little compassion, literally in the mirror say, Jackie, You're feeling hurt and that's good. Let's interrogate that feeling. Let's be with that feeling. It's real. That feeling is a fact. You don't have to pretend like it's not there, but you deserve love. 
let's try to work on forgiving yourself for having this out-of-body feeling. Let's direct some love toward you. So then I'm not reaching out to that colleague, right, Jenna, for the thing I need, because it's in here. I can let it go myself. I don't have to extrovert it to let it go. So compassion and just self-love and giving yourself grace is the word I want to say. To feel what you feel and be with it. That's one. And then two, if you're really doing that for yourself, friends, it's the other side of the muscle, right? Like your outer thigh muscle and the back of your thigh muscles. The other side of that muscle is that same kind of reflexive love for the other. What's happening for that person right now that's making them be quick, right? You know, what is this right now? It's not about you. It's about them. And if you can just get some distance from it and give it grace, give it space. You don't have to jump in with like murderous, angry thoughts. You can just jump in with curiosity, right? (laughs) And curiosity is better than violence. So grace for you and the other. I love that. I will connect grace to what you and I just shared together is that we're also paying a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. You know, we're paying attention to the tension that we're going through. Right. That's exactly right. And that's definitely helping us to move towards grace. All right. I hope everyone's enjoying my conversation with the amazing Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis. I know that I am. And if there are any thoughts that are emerging in your mind, of course, you'll be able to connect with her on her website as we get to the end of our program. Let's talk about the New York City's Middle Collegiate Church and Mm -hmm. the important work that you and your congregation are doing to spread Ubuntu and fierce love. Yeah, I am so fortunate to have found this community. 17 years ago, I came to study the church for my dissertation. I was looking at leaders who lead multiracial churches, and Middle was a white church with black congregants and a couple of Latinx folks and a couple of Asian folks. But the intention was there, the love was there, the full-on welcome of LGBT folks were there. And I wondered, how does a white man from Michigan know how to hold this diversity? So I studied them, and the white man from Michigan retired, and they hired me, incredibly, multi all the things, black and white, Asian, Latinx, indigenous, toddlers, and octogenarians, people who are wealthy, people who are very poor. And what we have in common is we're all trying to walk toward love together. It's amazing. amazing. I can't wait to come and visit that. Yeah, that's beautiful. We had a fire in December. Our building burned down. An accident and an asbestos removal in the neighbor's apartment building. But carelessness. And I want to just say quickly, the fire did not stop us. I mean, 500 more people joined our church since March of 2020 because... We learned how to do love and connection, even in the digital spaces. So wow. it's remarkable. And we invite people to find us at middlechurch.org. Mm, it's amazing. Wow. When you, when you burn down a place where sacredness has been for a while, it's as if there's something to be erected. Definitely first within the individuals and then in a manifestation of something physical later on. Mm-hmm. I can't end our conversation without talking about your relationship with your father and his mm. issues with your husband. <laughs> what was it that made you choose that love and go through all the stuff that you went through? Because you spoke about it very openly in the book. My dad used to bathe me and my sister together. And bath time was just crazy fun. Water splashing, make a mess. Towel dry. He made life fun. Shopping for shoes. Cooking when mommy was working, 
so many good things. And also, he was a hurt boy. And sometimes his hurt boy shows up when he's still dissed or we're sassy or, you know, any number of things. And the hurt boy has a temper. And that was very painful sometimes. The reason I tell on dad in the book is I'm telling on me also. And I'm telling on choosing dad. My own hurt person can have a temper. Not quite like his. But I've learned over my lifetime how softly to speak when I'm sad or angry as opposed to yelling. I've learned how not to shut people out, put people out. I learned that watching my dad get it wrong. But also in these years that he's aging, Jenna, he's so beautiful. He's so vulnerable and so honest and so loving all of us better. Giving my sister some mothering that she needs because mom is gone. Calling us and saying, you know, I miss you. So he's a transformational narrative alive and well. And I hung in with him. But what was it when he was like, John is not the guy for you? John was white and old. Oh, oh, okay. Well, that's all you had to say. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, no. And John was white and old and looked like somebody from Mississippi. (laughs) Oh, my God. So he just couldn't do it. But here's the deal. He and John are buds now. They I bet they are. talk out the stuff. They play pool and talk trash. John refuses to are. play cards with my dad because that's no fun. But he and daddy are really good friends because oh, time wow. changes things. And yeah. they've told each other their stories and they love each other. Great. That's a great story. Well, thank you for giving us that little insight. So look, as we come to a close, tell us anything else we need to capture from the book and from what you're doing that you'd like to leave us with? I want to say that in this book, Fierce Love, I am fiercely honest. I am fiercely candid. I am naked about my stuff because I think that that is actually the way to love myself fiercely. And I want to invite the readers when you read the book to really come along with me on a journey of telling the truth so you can love yourself, so you can take risks to love your neighbor. And your neighbors, the one you live with and the one around the globe who is suffering. And I want to invite you to be in a movement, in a river, Rumi says, to do something from your soul that is a joy and for your soul to engage the world in healing. Because we've only got one home. This is it. We all live on the planet. And if we can just do what we can where we are, we can make it all better together. Beautiful. Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis, you've been a delight. Thank you so, so much for your Thank wisdom, you. your heart, your transparency, your fierce love, and leave us with a website that our viewers can contact you if they have any questions or queries. Please do at JackieJLewis.com. I'd love to hear from you. There's a space there for you to write to me. You can pre-order the book. You can order the book there. You can link to Middle Church and find great music and jazz and good preaching. <laughs> so JackieJLewis.com. And follow me at Rev Jackie Lewis on all the places. Oh, that's so perfect. Thank you so very much. Thank you. So folks, oh, you're welcome. So folks, we've gotten some more insights in how to initiate more fierce love, despite whatever are the obstacles that might show up in front of us. It's a chance. It's our golden opportunity to bring love to the forefront. Yeah, I know it's a little challenging. It's like 99% of a lack of love is omnipresent everywhere around us. And so you've got to dig from deeper than you to really pull that love out of you. You know why? Because God is love. 
and he made you that way. Thank you so much for joining us today. Have a wonderful day. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And I suspect we are actually here on this planet Earth to practice, to apply, just loving each other the same. Try it. You'll have less conflicts with each other. Take care and I'll see you soon. I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.